Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. It's the start of a new content focus for us at Event Lab. Through March and April, we are taking a look at leadership, professional development and culture in the events industry. Kicking this off, we've got Mark LaRousse, the founder and host of The Unconventionalists, joining me in the studio as he shares all his wisdom on what it means to be a modern leader. The biggest misconception is that leadership comes with a job title. That Imagine right now, oh, you're the CEO of the company, so you're a leader, right? But we have multiple examples, and this happens all the time, where people who do not have the experience or do not have a job title end up leading. Also coming up, we have a brand new feature that we'll be having regularly on the podcast, Seven Minutes With. We'll be featuring high-profile members of the events industry as we find out more about them, the insight that they have to share, and their advice for succeeding in the industry. All in seven minutes. Joining us this week, we have Deborah Ward, the Managing Director for Cam and Hooper. Favourite Meg Ryan film? Uh... I don't know. I like. I like. I just like her younger stuff when she was America's sweetheart and kind of goofy and funny and lovable and smart. And but first, the events industry celebrates International Women's Day, but does it need to do more? Apprenticeships, the answer to the industry's need for more talent. All that, along with some questions from the audience, as Sam Allen, Martin Fullard, and Ed Poland sit down for the News Digest. Evening, everyone. Good evening. Hello, everybody. We have Martin Fullard, editor of Conference News. I am saluting, but you can't see. We have MC Sam Allen. In the house. Been travelling the world. Yes, a little bit. All over the place. So welcome back to the News Digest. Thanks so much. Good to be here. So, International Women's Day, last Friday. Berlin recently has made a national, well, a citywide holiday for International Women's Day. What's the events industry done? What's the state of gender equality in the events industry now? I think that um, this is a particular topic that the industry, the events world in general, is taking on. Um, when you look at the stats around the, the facts, the stats and the facts, because we do love a good stat on the News Digest, you know, 80% female. We've got some great articles. We've got some great action from some of the associations, some of the big corporations, people like IMEX really driving in terms of education, commitments, knowledge, community, networking to really raise this as an issue. Now, obviously, we're not getting days off or anything like that, but we are really, I think, leading a charge as a, as a sector, as, a, as the events world in this topic. But I don't believe, and I'd love to ask you gents, it's just about gender balance. I think it's about diversity of our sector in a whole. Well, yeah, I suppose that is uh, that is something that's emerging now. I mean, at uh, International Confex a couple of weeks ago, it was fairly obvious that a large portion of the people in attendance were, were female. I think in the industry more generally, or in the events world more generally, I think that senior level is still quite male-dominated. But I think, yeah, people from uh, black and Middle Eastern backgrounds and Asian backgrounds... Uh, are perhaps underrepresented in this industry. I I disagree a little bit with you in terms of female leadership um, in the industry. I'm thinking globally, because we're talking about a global international... That's a, that's a fair point. I am um, So if you look at sort of the, the, the new or the incoming chair, uh, the past chair of MPI, one of the biggest associations, 
uh, females. Um, Karina Bau, IMEX, female. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and list these. I think having somewhere where we champion success is a really, really good thing. But I absolutely think we've got talent gaps. We need to encourage, you know, a more ethnically diverse, a more diverse organise um, a diverse industry in order to be more successful in our own businesses and I think we need to look a little bit beyond where we look now to do that. Yeah so it's, it's an interesting one this is something that I've had kind of in you know just only anecdotal conversations with people and it is you know accepted that in the UK it's predominantly a, a white industry but people are kind of scratching their heads and thinking you know but well, where do I where do I start to try and diversify my my teams my agency my venue uh, maybe I'd say t- I'll take that back on venues I think venues is probably the venues are generally a little bit more uh diverse across the board but generally on the organizer level I'm not sure where, where do we start but we've also got to think about it from an event planning point of view in our events um coming from my sort of my new career as an MC you know when you're event designing you've got to think about your participants what you know what age what sex what ethnicity because if you're putting a panel and don't get me wrong I've got some very good friends who are gray-haired middle-aged men and you are very, very experienced in what they say and do. But you've got to start thinking about gender diversity, ethnic diversity in your events. And it's got to reflect your participants' needs and and desires and your meeting outcomes. So it's a really, really big thing. And I think IWD on Friday is really championing this. And it's bigger than the event industry or the events world. It's much, much bigger. But I think we're making some strong strides to champion, you know, diversity. But we've got more strides to go. Could we have a a holiday for International Women's Day for the whole events world? Or would it all just... I mean, it would grind to a halt, wouldn't it? Well, I couldn't. No. We're we're events people. We don't have holiday. Actually, I'm a journalist. I could. <laughs> Pick up on something you said, Sam, about kind of gaps in, you know, gaps in the industry. And actually, there's a, there was a, a piece in, um, in Conference News about apprenticeships in the events world. Um, does, does the events world need more apprenticeships? And I suppose, following off from what you said, Sam, do there need to be... You know, do they need to be better tailored to the gaps, the gaps that we have? I think the the straight answer is absolutely yes. You can read all my blogs about this stuff because it's all stuff I'm totally passionate about. Apprenticeships are successful. They have been proven as successful so far with what we've done. We need more. We need more businesses to engage with apprenticeships. Um we need more um, more talent in this industry at all different levels and all different um, experiences. Our industry is common sense, ability to work under pressure, thinking about others. These are all soft skills that we can't train people in. Bringing these people, bringing this diverse background of people into an apprenticeship programme, people who maybe can't go on an event management degree or whatever it might be, into a more sort of work-focused qualification, I think is awesome. Well, I'm going to back that up uh, immediately by saying I was actually at uh, one of the universities in London uh, a couple of weeks ago interviewing one of the lecturers on the event management course. You'll have to find out what it's all about in the next issue of Conference News. (laughs) Subscribe. Uh, But it... Was, uh, it was suggested quite clearly that the amount of uh, students uh, enrolling on the courses dropped by about 50% in the last few years. Obviously, tuition fees have gone up. People can no longer afford it. So apprenticeships are there for the taking. And we've just got to make sure that we are structured enough to make sure we get young people into the correct fields that suit them. 
And it might not necessarily even be young people. It could be anybody that's had an, you know, if you've had industry or life experience, you know, then jumping into an apprenticeship program is perfect. And now we've got um, a really, really great site, the Event Man- Management Apprenticeship Board. It's uh, getintoevents.org.uk. It gives a whole load of information for job seekers, employers, because we've got a levy. This is, you know, you know, you can't really afford not to do it as a business or an employer. It gives information to parents and guardians and teachers. Um, and the, the, the industry is really, you know, the events would have come together to bring this website and this resource um, into play. Was that the website again? It is getintoevents.org.uk. And so much going on. The article mentions that we need to boost our reputation as a good employer in the events world. It seems to me there's a lot of that. There's a lot. There's a lot of that happening. So a good time to be to be going for an apprenticeship. Absolutely. We as we we, we have a couple of. Um, in fact, we've got we've got two very good questions which came from uh, from from online in the last week or so at Event Lab Online from our listeners. I wanted to put them to you two experts. Okay. So this is the first. Uh, this is the first question is from Luke PwC. No second name given. What can a venue do to stand out as unique? Do you want to go first? You go first and I'll see if I agree with you. Hmm. <laughs> what can a venue do to be unique? What a good-looking question. Uh, you know what I'm going to I'm going to combine this with the second question because actually I don't think they're too dissimilar. So the second question that, that came was, what can independent venues do to compete with major groups and chains when I, it comes to getting corporate business? I really do think you're killing with kindness and I think that your customer service has to be on a level beyond uh you could have all the bells and whistles you like but it doesn't matter if your customer service is terrible uh you have to have a client first mentality you have to make each and every client feel that their event is unique that it's special uh and that is how word of mouth travels and i think that's to be honest how a lot of venues actually build up a decent reputation it has to be customer service focused it has to be top class and it has to be at every level in the venue it's a much more level playing field for, for for independent, unique venues now. There's you know there's, there's there's so many ways to find these spaces that perhaps there weren't 10, 20 years ago when it perhaps was was dominated by the big hotels and chains. It seems to me that now, you know, with the with the right marketing focus, most spaces can get get their name out. Uh, you you know, you're comparing apples with horses. So I think straight away, don't do that. That's my number one tip to all independent straight venues. Which is the apple, venues. which is the horse. I, you can decide which one that is. With hotels, there's a whole different ball game in terms of their ne- negotiations, what they can offer, especially the big chains. They have got bedrooms and a lot of independent venues, if we're talking about you know conference venues, don't have that. So again, they haven't got the negotiating power. So stick to your own product and look at your assets there. Absolutely, 100% agree with Marty. It's a, a customer service um, and really skilled. And, you know, we need better and, and, and really skilled uh, marketeers and we need really skilled sales staff as well as the top-notch customer service because we need those people to understand. They need to get into this under the skin of what an event looks like, how an event can be designed. It isn't about natural daylight. It's about what experiences these participants are going to have under this roof or under this circus tent or whatever that venue might be. And I would also say, you know, unique isn't always um, a choice. If um, if you look at some of the research um, my old company had, had undertaken, and maybe we can share that 
via higher space or event lab, um, certainly. You know, corporates get a little bit nervous when they see unique because it means that it could be difficult. And one of the things that you've got to do as a venue is make life easy for your client. So I wouldn't go, you know, I'd, I'd veer on the side of caution in terms of that. Get under the skin, understand your client, understand their challenges, their participants and what they want from that event and match that. And that will set you aside against all the other competition. And I think... Just being, uh, obviously, flexibility is great. You've got to be flexible. That's what all your clients are going to want. But, of course, you are going to be constrained by some level of policy. But be transparent about that. Don't just say, no, we can't do that. Computer says no. You have to explain. And, you know, it's important that uh, venues, uh, actors, you know, pretty much picking up with what you said, Sammy, you know, as, as event consultants, you know, help the client. And I think the last tip is be authentic. You're then building identity. Uh, Barbican, one of your old, your old, my venues, old stomping patch, your yes. Old stomp, in a former life, they went to they switched to 100 percent renewable renewable energy recently. Is that right? Is I it? think that they've they've they're winning awards left, right, and centre at the moment. I'm I'm losing touch with how advanced they are. But remember, they're a multi you know they're a multi art centre. They've got a huge number of different stakeholders. But and also that they're they're challenged by being a really old building and a really challenging building to some degree. So actually. They are constantly looking at ways to innovate and share that. And one of the best things that you can get there is going to be the service and the customer experience and the level of, of training that these guys get there. Brilliant. Well done, Barbican, on that. That's a great step. We... There are plenty of other good venues, as we must say, other than aforementioned. Other venues, venues are available. <laughs> Correct. T- uh, time has gone pretty quickly. Um, we're almost there. What's coming up for you guys? What's the most exciting thing happening in the events world in the next two weeks for you guys? I'm off to Chamonix next week uh, with a delegation of agents and corporates. So we're going to be having some uh, round uh, roundtable discussions, or they're more kind of fireside discussions. Uh, I can't reveal the topics we're talking about yet, but it's going to be really interesting. Uh, it's going to be at a place called Les Rives d'Argentière in Chamonix. Great place. Well do, do look it up. Oh, you know, oh, one of me. Didn't French, know you're so. French. I don't. That's I'm out. I don't even sure what I just said. Uh, but I think it's going to be a very interesting occasion. I think, you know, we're going to have about 10 agencies there, 10 corporates. It's going to be very interesting to see what they have to say on the topics we've got. So I will update you on what we have there. Lovely. Sam, what are you most excited about? Over the next couple of weeks, yeah. I am going away to do some writing and some content for the, the new website. That's my job. So um, I'm going to pass it to you for proofreading, Marty. Oh, good. Um, and I'm doing that in a little bit of sunshine. So it's been a hectic a few months for me so I am actually taking a bit of my own well-being medicine and having a few days off it feels like we've swapped you're doing the writing and I'm off jet setting around (laughs) Europe that's how we roll in this podcast been a pleasure thanks guys see you next time see you soon bye bye now Deborah Ward joins Ed in the studio now in addition to her position at Cam and Hooper Deborah has held several managerial roles in the food and hotel management industry was named the Woman of Achievement winner by Women in the City in 2015 and previously led her own company, Live, Love, Learn, for seven years. Evening, Deborah. Hi. Deborah Ward, the new Managing Director of Cam & Hooper. How long have you been in the role? Seven months. How's it going so far? Amazing, amazing. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a brilliant company. It is. So, Deborah, 
we've got seven minutes okay. today. I'm going to start the, the timer. I'm going to be very strict on our seven minutes. Deborah, I'm going to ask you three sets of questions. I'm going to ask about you, Deborah Ward, the leader, the legend. <laughs> I'm going to ask about the events world and about Cam and Hooper generally. And I'm going to ask about our Event Lab content theme for these two months, uh, which is leadership, professional development and culture. So let's kick things off nice and nice and slow. Who, who's the person that inspires you the most? You know, it changes every day. My folks were massive inspirations for me. My dad was an entrepreneur. My mom's uh, one of the hardest working, was one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Um, my kids inspire me every day. My husband continues to be one of my greatest fans. My team are forever Sharon Hart from Cam and Hooper. He's, <laughs> He's pretty challenging at times. Jason uh, Capper, uh, Simon Gates, our FD, um, Fiona Allen, our new HRD. You know, they all they all question me. Keith Seymour, we just hired as our hunter. You know, they're all challenging me. Patrick J. Hobbs and his creativity is constantly sparking. And who's Patrick? Patrick is Patrick J. Hobbs is our chief booze engineer. Chief booze engineer. That's his title. CBE. I want that job. Yeah, everybody wants that job. <laughs> but Deborah, are you a sun lounger or a culture vulture? Ugh, both. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. What about music? Favorite musician? Favorite song? Jazz. Love jazz. Love Jack Johnson. Love love Ed Sheeran. Love, you know, everything that's kind of fun and light and uh, also motivational. Anything that's motivational. You've had a brilliant career today. What's the one piece of advice that you'd go back and give yourself at the start of your career? Don't be so scared, little girl. Nobody died today. You know, like you got one shot. Just go. Go, 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 go. Believe in yourself and open up yourself to being vulnerable and welcoming advice from other people. We asked the Higher Space team, what one question should we ask Deborah Ward, MD of Cameron Hooper? And they, the most popular <laughs> one was, who would play you in a movie of your life? Uh, young Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan, good choice. Young Meg Ryan. Not young this Ma Botoxed up Meg Ryan, but the, the younger version Ooh, of her. Favourite Meg Ryan film? Uh... I don't know. I like. I like. I just like her younger stuff when she was America's sweetheart and kind of goofy and funny and lovable and smart and. Yeah, yeah. I remember remember those days. Okay, Deborah, Events World, Cam and Hooper. Start with a broad one. What's your favorite thing about the events industry? People. Honestly, our job. You know, our strap line at Cam and Hooper is extraordinary people curating iconic experiences. Right. And we just, our job is to literally handpick all the very best of what we have to offer and what our partners, our VIPs, our vendors and partnership have to offer and create this amazing experience for our clients. And that, and you know, they walk away and, and they're so excited, whether it's a wedding or a corporate event or a product launch or a filming session or a wrap party. It's just, it's fun. You know, you get to be in and amongst people, the very best of them. You meet some amazing people in this world. So what's next for, for Cam and Hooper? <clears throat> Oh my gosh. We have what we call the five, four, three, two, one hundred million pound plan. Uh, so that's our five year target is to hit a hundred million pounds in five years. Um, we've done so many amazing things in the seven months I've been there. We've you know changed our vision statement, our values. We've looked at all of what we call the P's, people, places, processes, um, production, uh, promotion, pragmatic, uh, the plan. Um, and we've just looked at each of these P's and said, okay, what do we need to do in those spaces? And we're starting to get, you know, the right people in the right places. You know, I mentioned the core team earlier, um, and they're leading these massive changes that are really about looking at the long term. I think originally we were more short term and thinking about a trade sale in the first five years. We're now five and a half years, six years old. And we've said, no, <clears throat> we want to go, go big. And so uh, in order to do that, we really had to put some foundations in place and look, look big. 
you know. You've moved very quickly as a company. What's the best thing about working for Cameron Hooper? My team, my team, my venues, uh, our vision, um, the pace, the autonomy, the excitement, the creativity, uh, you know, the waiters, the chefs and their brilliance. It's just fun. I just, I, every day, I, I have to literally set the alarm to go home at night. It's what's crazy. The, what's the best event you've ever been to? Oh, uh, personally, um, you know, any of my, my sister's weddings. I just, you know, there's something very special and emotional. I think if you can create an event where you can help people connect emotionally on any level, it's a great event. And whether it's your personal event or something you've done. I mean, I've watched the events that we've created that have been extraordinary. I mean, when I was doing, um, when I was leading uh, client services, you know, our all-team events uh, were brilliant just to see people in their greatness. And this year at Cam and Hooper, our all-team awards, our, cu- our curator awards, um you know, to have people just literally sobbing from gratitude and excitement and appreciation and shock and awe of of being acknowledged publicly for what they brought to the company is just so rewarding and so fulfilling. It just, I get so emotional about it every time. Makes it all worthwhile. It does. I want to talk about um, our content theme. You're an expert on this, Deborah, leadership, professional development and culture. I want to start with with an easy one. What's the key to a fantastic work culture? A vision, a strong vision. Uh, a strong vision that everybody can buy into. Um, you know, just do it, Nike. You know, there's no question about what, you know, what has to be done. Nike, do it well. And what are the most important characteristics in a modern leader? Open and honest, uh, vision, vulnerable, collaborative, um, strong and weak. <laughs> um, uh, listening. People want to be listened to. They just really want to be listened to. It's, as CIPD said that it's the number one thing for employee engagement is to be listened to. I see in the quote, culture each eats strategy attributed to you. Can you give us a bit more insight into what that means? Uh, I believe it was Cotter that said it first, but I use it all the time because I think it's true. And and I think that strategy is about a process and a plan and it's very formulaic. But a culture is about people. It's about in, engaging an emotion. It's about connecting with people in a way that they want to buy into it. It's about engaging and empowering and fulfilling people's ambitions. It's about worthwhile work, giving people control to actually achieve their goals and then cheering them on to the success. And, and for me, I think, you know, we've gotten into this blame culture, whether it's in politics or in professions or in personalities and people. But the the truth is that you go further faster when you acknowledge people in their greatness opposed to pointing out their weaknesses. Anybody can find fault. That's the easy part. Culture each strategy. I like it. It's a good one for the events world. It is. Deb, I'm going to ask you one more question. Of course. I'm going to allow you to have two. Okay. A Cameron Hooper one and a non-Cameron Hooper one. Okay. What's your favourite venue? Oh, I, I can't pick between my children. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm just not going to pick between my children. I love them all for different reasons. Banking Hall is pretty great. Yeah, they're all pretty great. Victoria Bathhouse is great. You know, Tanner, when you just want to let loose, is fantastic. Six Stories, if you want to be a bit naughty, is kind of fun. Uh, Grace Hall is very elegant. So, yeah, you know, sorry, I can't What about pick. a non-Cameron Hooper one? I think I really like to be more in nature, if it's just on a personal level. You know, anywhere that's out in a farm or at uh, a garden. You know, Kew Gardens is gorgeous, uh, especially in the summertime. Take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. <laughs> Deborah, time has really flown. We're bang on seven minutes. Thank you for giving us your insight into Deborah Ward. Been great to talk. Thank you. We're continuing the theme of leadership now as Mark LaRoost joins me in the studio. 
So today I am joined by Mark LaRoost, host and founder of The Unconventionalists. Mark, welcome to the Event Lab Thank podcast. you so much for uh, for having me here. It's a, it's, a, it's a very cool and professional studio. I'm very impressed. <laughs> we certainly like it. Yeah, and it's no, it's awesome to have you on. Basically, the moment we kind of heard you speak at Event Lab, brilliant. Yeah. We, we had to have you back. Yeah, um, yeah, I appreciate that. And I guess just sort of kicking off um, from that talk, you know, you're clearly a very passionate advocate mm. for you know, leaders improving yeah. themselves, yeah. Uh, you know, building on their skills. I guess what, what kind of inspired that? What, what, yeah. what started the passion? Yeah, it's, um, it's like, how, how much time have you got? I think we've got about <laughs> 12 minutes. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's basically, I think it's one of those things where, I, I mean, I don't come at all from an HR background. You know, it, it, it was more kind of spending 10 years, I guess, as an employee in both the private sector, like in corporates, right? And then I went into business schools. It's kind of like public I guess, and then non-for-profit, you know, for charities. And I kind of saw systematically that regardless of the industry, regardless of the, the sector, uh, regardless of, of the gender of leaders, regardless of, of the geography of location, there was there was always some stuff that I just couldn't get my head around. I couldn't understand, like, why are we not just acting like normal humans in an organization? It's like suddenly the moment you go through the front door, you just become this different person. You put on this different persona. There's parts of you that you leave outside and then you, you, you kind of think that the playbooks and management guides that you've been passed on down the last hundred years of Taylorism, you know, that been invented mm. on, on in, in a, for a world that doesn't exist anymore, it's just kind of still, it's still being propelled. So I think I think it was just that kind of shock of going, Surely there must be another way of doing this. And then, of course, I, I became a leader myself and I, I sucked. <laughs> you know, it's just I think it's one of those things where you go, I would never do that. I could, you know, I could never find myself to do that. And then you realize, oh, yeah, it's hard. And so then I went down this journey of, of kind of leadership development and to try and understand what's at the core of, 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 of real leadership. And, and that led me onto this amazing path of realizing kind of stuff I've, I've, I spoke about. In my talk in Event Lab, you know, if you listen to this, go and check it out. It's, it's available now on YouTube. It's public. Um, but effectively, yeah, that's kind mm. of that's kind of how I got. And I got. And I think the more conversations I had with people, the more I realized, wow, actually, you know, employees and leaders alike, everyone wants an opportunity to be heard, appreciated, and and, and cared for. And so that's kind of that's kind of how you know I ended up in this path, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the, one of the ideas I've heard you express is that you know, like ultimately everyone has the capacity to be a leader. Yeah. And so I want to ask kind of like, what does that kind of individual leadership look like? Yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, I've always, I guess, had a bit of that feeling, even though it sometimes feels counterintuitive to kind of believe that. But then I came across the book of uh, Karen and Henry Kemsey House, who wrote the Coactive Leadership book. It's a great book. And effectively, it's, it's it depicts the uh, Coactive Leadership model. And it's this idea that, uh, first of all, the first kind of principle is that everyone's a leader and, and leaders take responsibility for their worlds. And then this was, I talked about this in my talk about Jocko Willings, right? The the the, the host of, um, in America, like a podcast and an ex-Navy mm. SEAL and stuff. But this idea of extreme ownership. And I think when I had that click happen in my head, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, we are all leaders and we are all responsible for our worlds. And that means that when you get that, then you no longer play the victim of going, Oh, it's not my fault. It's your responsibility. Mm. Or imagine like there's there's um this happened live on stage at a recent <laughs> event, right? I was giving a talk about how to unleash your inner leader, and literally um, before I came on stage, the the kind of the the team who were there to set up the stage hadn't cleared the table from the previous panel, so I get on stage and I literally pick up this this table and and do it myself, and then the host is like, oh no no Mark, don't do that. Our team was there. I was like, that's cool. And everybody's kind of <laughs> laughing. 
And I used that in my talk because it was actually, it wasn't staged. It was genuine that what happened. But I said, look, I could have waited until someone fixed it. I could have blamed someone that hadn't done it. I could have complained about it. But because I'm a leader, because I take responsibility for my world, I took care of it. And, and I think it's this idea that if you understand that principle, that you start seeing yourself as a leader, then you understand there are different dimensions of leadership. And, and this, again, it comes from the corrective leadership principles, but effectively, without going into too much details, you've got leader from the back, leader from the front, leader from the side, leader from within, leader from the field. Um, and, it's just, and we're constantly evolving between these different dimensions. Yeah, because I guess a lot, a lot of people have sort of, I guess, sort of come into leadership with quite traditional yeah. ideas of yeah. kind of what a leader should be. Yeah. And I think I was thinking one, you know, one of those is a lot of people quite traditionally will tie leadership to like seniority. Sure. I mean, do you think they're right to do so? Well, basically, the biggest misconception is that leadership comes with a job title. Mm-hmm. That imagine right now, oh, you're the CEO of the company, so you're a leader, right? But we have multiple examples, and this happens all the time, where people who do not have the experience or do not have a job title end up leading. You know, and it's like this idea that if if you want to uh, uh, impact the people around you, whether you have someone working on your left or on your right, you have an opportunity to to lead, right? And it's just this misconception that leader, the, the, the traditional model of leadership is this idea that we are all leaders at the front. Mm. And like, if you're leading, then you're at the front, right? But actually, when you look at the world of work, when you look at, you know, families and homes, you're constantly observing that actually there are different styles of leadership. And I think what people need to understand is that although the old school traditional model of leadership is purely attached to the person who is most vocal, mm. most at the front, actually, without anyone supporting the leader, there is no leadership. You're just one person talking on your own and going for a walk, right? So you have to have people behind yeah. you supporting. And the people who are behind you often actually are pivotal to the whole foundation. You know, like, I, so I give, I give, I get invited quite a lot to go and give talks, for example, to assistants and executive assistants and, and admin roles and stuff. And it's an amazing opportunity for me to actually make them realize that without you, this whole organization collapses. Like without you supporting everybody in their roles, without you enabling everyone to go and do the work they need to do, you can't serve the people you're trying to serve, right? You can't help the people. You are an important and vital part of this organization. You are a leader from the back at times, sometimes you're the front. And it's just getting your head wrapped around that. No, absolutely. I mean, because I guess you mentioned that kind of people, you know, tied the position very closely with with leadership. I mean, do you think there's, do you think you need to separate uh, the ideas of leadership and the ideas of management? Mm, it's a good question. I, th- I think I think there are two things, right? There's like again, there's this whole idea where if you look back at kind of Frederick Taylor and and who was obsessed with time management and productivity, and and we still systematically have this unfortunate uh, obsession in organisations to be efficient at all cost, uh, to minimise friction in mm. productivity, uh, and so we 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 often lose what makes us actually special, which is creativity innovation, collaboration, community. Um, and so I think what happens then is you, you have, you know, management, or, you know, managers and management is important because you have a job to do, right? It also enables you to understand how to how to get things done. But there's a great quote by uh, Saint-Exupéry who wrote the book, The Little Prince or The Petit Prince, mm. I don't know how you say it in English, yeah? And I forgot, I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it basically says something on the lines, if you want to build a boat, don't, assign tasks to people what to do make them long for the sea and the journey and and they'll figure out how to build that boat and i think that for me really is the difference between leadership and management mm-hmm. management is like i'm going to tell you how to do this let me control and it's more micromanagement mm-hmm. leadership is more we have this big task ahead of us 
I think we're the right team to get there. I believe in us. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that, that, that quote is lovely. So I guess going back to your rent lab talk, humility was a real a real key theme in that and people leaders yeah. having the, the humility to take to take criticism and yeah. to build. Um, I guess a lot of the kind of highest profile leaders we see in the media, uh, CEOs, uh, like Elon Musk, Trump, they seem to have a real distinct lack of humility. <laughs> do, you think that, do you think that's a problem? Yeah, it's, you know, again, there are different types of leadership styles. I think what's really interesting is, especially when I go and give talks to younger millennials around like, you know, unleashing the millennial talent and, and leadership in organizations, and, and you have different reference points, right? So you refer, for example, to Elon Musk, who's notorious for sleeping at the office, you know, very little sleep, very kind of hard work. And you've got the Gary Vaynerchuks, you mm-hmm. know, so social media for the youth around, you know, grind, sleeps for the, you know, for the dead, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got, you know, another type of leader, like the Donald Trumps, right? Wherever you, wherever you stand on the political idea, you know, then, then people go, but look, he's, he's being himself and he gets elected, right? And so I think what happens around humility is that you realize that if you want to be a leader that's able to uh, show up in the world in a powerful way, have an impact in such a way that you can still feel aligned with your integrity, where you get to bring your full self to work, then you need to understand that you can achieve pretty much anything if you're willing. I forgot who said this. I don't want to be quoted for this because I did, I stole it for someone, but it, you can achieve anything as long as you're not you're willing to not get the credit for it. Mm-hmm. And I love that quote because it basically says like we're going to get there, and I don't care if I'm the one quoted on the paper or not. Because I think it's Philip McKernan, one of my previous guests who came on my show on the Unconventionalist, said, you know, legacy is not what you leave behind you. It's what you give. Well, I guess it was a kind of a self-fulfilling quote for whoever said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, the other one thing I sort of want to ask you, I guess kind of following on from the like I mentioned of kind of Gary Vaynerchuk, we see mm. a lot of these kind of like social media leaders, mm. these kind of LinkedIn thought people. Mm. Uh, I guess a lot of that kind of discourse, it's it seems like it's kind of about making the people reading it, the leaders feeling special and mm. just kind of giving ego boosts. Uh, do you think a lot of that stuff kind of, you know, it's about making people feel good about themselves while kind of ignoring perhaps the issues that affect their workers, that affect mm. their employees? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you can distill that question in, in, a, f- in a few different parts, right? So this first of all, this idea that technology, the one thing that pl- technology has enabled us is to have a platform, to have a voice. I mean, think about it. How crazy is it that just not so long ago, if you were an artist or a musician and you wanted to be noticed and heard, you had to pray to get on MTV, mm. right? Like if you wanted to be a business and you wanted to be written about in a newspaper, you either had to have the right contacts or paid a significant amount of money to get published in a newspaper. And I could go on for, for, forever on this. Now with YouTube, you can be discovered like that. Now with uh, LinkedIn, Medium, you can write an article and everybody can find out about your business. I mean, the the, the sort of decentralization of information is is, is like any other age that we are living today. So I think that's very exciting. What that also enables is for people who have a voice to speak up. What I find often is the challenge that most people who've got something that's got really meaningful to say often tell me that they don't want to be the center of attention. They are afraid of putting themselves out there in case they get criticized. They feel like they've got nothing else to add. And I think that for me is really heartbreaking. That's why I created the Impact Accelerator because I wanted to help people like that who had a purpose, a mission, to go from invisible to visible, to stop being the best kept secret and to put themselves out there in a way that actually serves. So to come back kind of loophole to your question, I think what happens, it's always in terms of what's the intention. If you're writing a piece of content, what's the intention behind it? Are you trying to serve? Are you trying to massage your ego? Yeah. Are you trying to like get more followers, more likes? And I've done it. We've all done it. Like, I mean, hands up, you know, sometimes I have to catch myself and go, 
why am I saying that? Why am I writing that? It's because I, I, I'm not feeling great about myself right now. So I need to feel loved. And so I go and put that out there. And then I feel like crap because I go and it's like, I've only got like a few likes. I'm like, oh my God, the world hates me. That's so insignificant. But actually, I think there's some really great ways that you can be of service by simply asking the question, how can I help? That's it. How can I help? Or have a conversation with people. What are you struggling with? Maybe there's something I can share. And I think that that's what excites me about content creation, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess just as, as, a, as a final point, sort of what, what advice would you give to people you know, starting out in their careers who, are, who aspire to those kind of yeah. senior positions of leadership? Yeah, wow. Uh, so much I'd love to say. One of them would be don't make up that you have to wait for a specific day to start showing up in, 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 in your world. Um, if you're working with someone next to you, you can have a huge impact in their lives by simply asking, how are you? And shutting up and actually listening to the answer and just paying attention to how they're doing and just checking with themselves. Just that alone would be a huge difference for most people because we can go through life without ever having someone waiting to actually hear the answer, how are you? Mm. Uh, the other thing would be to say the fastest hack to feeling fulfilled in the work that you do is to be self-aware in terms of what are your values, what's important to you. Once you understand that, it's the most magical blueprint you'll ever get because you then start realizing when you're unhappy in a, in a job, it's not the job, it's not necessarily the leader, it's because your values don't match the organizational values. Your mission in life doesn't match the mission of the organization. And so one of the fastest hacks to feel fulfilled is to be really clear about your values. So that would be probably the second one. The third one would be take responsibility. Uh, there's a great quote from, from um, uh, Gardner who wrote the book, The Pursuit of Happiness. And when it was asked and interviewed, what was the most valuable piece of information you've ever received? Uh, you might have seen the film with Will Smith. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Chris Garner, I think his name was. I forgot I forgot the first name. But anyway, uh, he he said that his mum told him, and he had a horrific experience growing up and was abused as a child. His mum was in prison. And his mum told him, cavalry ain't coming. And that enabled him to understand that if you're not if you're sitting away and waiting around for someone to to magically sort your life out, to magically tell you that you're amazing and that you're you're, you're allowed. Actually, this is it. Mm. I'm giving you officially now, if you're listening to this, I'm giving you permission. If this is the sign you're waiting for, here it is. You have permission to go out there and do something meaningful. You have permission to, to start standing up for something you believe in. Don't wait for a certain day or a certain time for you to think that now you're ready. You will become, but you need to start in order to become. What a great thought to end on. If I mean, if uh, as just a last little bit, if people want to hear yeah. hear more from you, where can they do that? Yeah, cool. So I mean, uh, so I've got a podcast called The Unconventionalists, uh, where I sit down with really kind of inspiring guests. We talk about their failures and successes and what they've learned from both, from trying to turn their message to movement. And uh, markruse.com is probably like the the easiest way to connect with me. And I'm on Instagram. <laughs> you know, I do Insta stories and all that stuff uh, at Mark Laroost. Awesome. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you, for you so much. On. If you enjoyed our interview with Mark, you can hear him speak at the upcoming Higher Space Presents event hosted at Smiths of Smithfield, and that will take place on Wednesday, the 27th of March. The event will include a networking drinks reception and party, and the evening will feature a short speech from Mark on the topic, The Secret Weapon to High-Performing Event Project Teams. As always, you can find links to everything mentioned in the episode in the show notes below, including a link to register for the Higher Space Presents event. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. If you have any questions you'd like to submit to the News Digest or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab 
at higherspace.com. Thanks very much for listening.